888-835-2414. This is Learning with Leslie. Welcome to another episode of Learning with Leslie, the podcast where you learn, I learn, we all learn about how to build an online business with a blog. No, I'm not talking about one of those blogs that will fall by the wayside when Google has a mood swing. I'm talking about one that will thrive no matter what gets thrown at it. I'm your host, Leslie Samuel from becomeablogger.com, where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And as usual, I have another exciting episode for you today. In today's episode, episode 250, I'm going to be answering your blogging questions. I'm talking autoresponders, surveys, membership sites, and more. You know, one of the most valuable parts of my Become a Blogger coaching club is our live Q&A sessions that we do twice a month. Members get to come on there with their questions, and we go through them one at a time. And I try to answer each question to help the member on their blogging journey. You see, every blogger's journey is different, and they encounter unique challenges. So I decided what I'm going to do is pull some of those questions out and share them with you here, because if they have these questions, chances are you might have these questions as well. So autoresponders, surveys, membership sites, and more... That's what we're going to be talking about today. All right, so here's the deal, right? As I mentioned, every month we do two live coaching calls, or I call them Q&A sessions, but basically members get to come on and ask their questions. We record each question, we record the answers to the questions, and we put them inside the members area for anyone to be able to access. And it's done in an interesting way. Here's the thing. It's done in a way where, let's say you have a question, and that question is about Facebook marketing. You can go into the members area, and you can type in Facebook marketing, and all of the questions that have ever been asked about Facebook marketing will just automatically pop up, and you can choose one of those questions. So this has become one of the most valuable parts of my my life, my, 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 my coaching club, because People are able to get the exact answers to questions that they are struggling with. And I just love that. So I basically want to share some of those questions and answers with you because, you know, I get some great questions and I gave some, I think, pretty great answers. (laughs) So I want to share that with you so that you can learn it, learn from it. I'm not going to go into any quick tip or anything of that sort. We're just going to go directly to the questions. I want to let you know, though, if you're interested in checking out the coaching club, go to bloggercoaching.com. And if you, this is episode 250. If you enter the coupon code episode 250, just episode 250 as if it's one word, you're going to get a special deal. I'm not going to tell you what that special deal is. If you want to find out what it is, you got to go to bloggercoaching.com. And then enter episode 250 when you're checking out. So this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to basically play a question and the answer. And in between each question and answer, I'm going to play this. Because if I have that, oh, maybe I might do this one. 
yeah, I'll mix it up. All right. <laughs> so in between each question, you're going to hear that. So you will know that we are transitioning from one question to another question. Once again, the topics, autoresponder series, uh, equipment for before launching a webinar. Should you wait for professional equipment? Uh, there's a question about lead magnets. There's a question about creating surveys. There's one about backing up WordPress watermarks for your videos, and retaining members in your membership site. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, go ahead and have a listen. Let's go on to question number one. Okay, so Martika has a question, and her question is, what are some ideas to create autoresponders? Um. That's a good question, question because autoresponders can be very beneficial. So the answer to that question is it depends. And what it depends on is what they signed up for. So the first question you have to ask is what is going to be the purpose of your email list? If it's for something like what I do where people are signing up because they want to learn how to build a business with a blog, I need to start thinking through, okay, what do they need to know in order to build a business with a blog? And then I can kind of outline the different stages that they have to go through and the different tips that I could give them and so on and so forth. And then based on that, I can create a series of emails and schedule them accordingly. Um, so it just depends on what they're signing up for and what, what kind of list you're trying to build, what's the value you're trying to provide um, to, to to your your email subscribers, okay. So I'll give you some general tips for creating those autoresponders. The first one is the fact that stories sell. A lot of times we create emails, and those emails are just explaining the technical aspects of whatever it is we're trying to get people to do. But if we start off with a story people are going to be much more engaged, especially if it's an, a story where they can kind of see themselves in that story. So I have a few coaching clients that have um, blogs where like one is about motherhood and the other one is about, well, I guess the other one is about homeschooling and the other one is about motherhood again. And in that, um, some of them are really good at sharing personal stories of things that have happened with them and their kids. And when you start reading the story, it kind of hooks you in. Um, and when it hooks you in, and then there's a lesson that comes along with it, people are going to be much more likely to not just take in the lesson, but they're also gonna, you're gonna, you're kind of humanizing yourself. You're making yourself more real to them. It's not just an email that they're getting that's an automatic email. It's something that they can identify with. And that really helps to strengthen that connection. So that's one tip tell stories. Another tip is one that I learned from an email course that I went through a while back. And that is you wanna build anticipation. So you're providing value in the emails, but you're also kind of building anticipation slash curiosity for the next one that's, that's coming. So let's say my first email is about um, 
I had this idea for something that I was really passionate about, and I wanted to start a blog about biology. All right, we're talking about the biology thing again. I I can't do my blog, but I could talk about it. Um, <laughs> um, I was very passionate about starting a biology blog because I could share something that I'm passionate about with other people that are passionate about it. So I decided to start this blog, and here are some of the tips that I'll share with you from what I did. Okay, so that's the gist of the email. But then at the end, I could say something like, but the, the most amazing thing was one thing that happened as a result of that blog. But I'll share that with you in the next email. You're kind of like, no, I want to, you know, the, the cliffhanger at the end of a show that I just watched just now. And I, I'm dying to see what the next hey, episode is going to be like. Making a murderer. Exactly, right? <laughs> I know. <sighs> All right. So those cliffhangers really help to build anticipation and to make that person um, really look forward to every email that you have coming to, coming to them. That's something that if you implement that strategically, that can really increase engagement. Another tip has to do with the structure of the email. Um, autoresponder emails, you want to provide value. But the way I look at it is this. I want that email to be a standalone piece of value. That they read this email and they get this great tip from it. But then at the end, I always want to have one call to action. And that call to action could be to go and check out a specific post on my blog. So not only are they getting value in the email, but it's also automatically bringing traffic back to my blog. So I remember there's an email that I wrote about the value of telling stories and how it helps you to connect with your audience. That was one of my autoresponder emails. And I went through that whole concept. And then at the end, I say, do you want to see how I did this on my blog? click here to read this post about when such and such happened. So they're getting value in that email, but then they're clicking through to come to my blog and getting even more value. And I'm getting more value because I got more traffic coming back to my blog. So those are some general tips for creating your autoresponders. Hopefully that was helpful to you, Martika. (laughs) Mr. Leslie, should we? That's a that's a southernism, by the way. Should we wait? <laughs> Having our launch webinars is so important. Should we wait till we have great camera and sound equipment like you have before we record our first launch webinar? Do you have something to launch? Uh, no, I'm asking in general because I want to make it. I want to put it in my timeline. I want it to be a big goal. Gotcha. Okay, so this is what I would recommend. First of all. You don't really need a lot to get a to do a good quality webinar. Um, on on this, well, if you were able to see our webcams, you would see that Chris is in front of a a, a microphone and a headset. He has on a headset and all this kind of stuff. The microphone that he has is the audio, and, and I could share this in the Facebook group or whatever. But it's called the Audio Technica ATR twenty one hundred. USB. And if you go to becomeablogger.com slash ATR2100, it'll take you there. And Linford has one. Chris has one on the screen. But both of them have it. Angie has one. That microphone is um, 
I'm going to go right now. Uh, That's value for the money. It, it, yeah. it is ridiculously inexpensive. It costs, well, the price has gone up, for, which is weird for technology. It used to be 30 something dollars, but now the price is $52.69 on Amazon. With that microphone, you can plug it directly into your computer and you have everything that you need for professional audio quality. You don't need to, you, with, when I do a webinar, I'm, not, I'm, never on the, I'm never on camera. It's just my screen that you're seeing. You can see the PowerPoint that I created. I use Keynote and not PowerPoint, but it's the same concept. And I have my microphone and I'm recording into my computer. That's all you need to start with a webinar. That's all you need to create the videos that I create inside the membership, um, in, inside the coaching club. You don't really need anything more than that. Gotcha. So, so you don't have so to answer your question, you don't have to buy expensive camera equipment. Um, if you wanted to step up your game even more, you can get a nice webcam. The one that I use is the Logitech um, C920, and I'm looking that up right now. Wait, is that right? Logitech C9. Why is it not on, on Amazon? Becomeablogger.com slash webcam, maybe? That sounds like something I would make. Oh, yeah, there you go. Huh. I make it easy to guess these affiliate links. Um, it's a, I, I bought a $66 webcam, and that's what I do. That's what I use. It increases the quality of my video, and those are the only things I ever use. Uh, well, I kind of have this very advanced audio system that you don't want to even go near because it's overkill even for what I do. Um, but just with that microphone, you have pretty much everything you, you need. Once you have, a, you have my, the, the microphone, you have PowerPoint or Keynote, and you have whatever program you're using for the webinar, you should be good. Thank you. That was very clear. You are very much welcome. Well, my question is, is, what would be a good lead magnet for people to be able to create an email list? What would be a good lead uh, magnet for someone to create an email list? Um, the, yes. que the question, the answer to the question depends on who your audience is, what they're struggling with, what they're trying to accomplish. That's where I would start. This is similar to an answer that I was giving to a previous question. First, start with who your audience is, what value you provide to them, and what can you, what can you provide them with to help them accomplish their goals. Now, I'll tell you a few things about this more specifically. We often tend to think that we have to create this very complicated lead magnet because the more... The more fancy it is, the more impressed people are going to be, the more likely they're going to be to sign up to my email list. But that's not necessarily true. A lead mag magnet can be something as simple as, you know, the five tools I use to X, Y, Z. And in many ways, from, from a lot of data that I've heard, some of those more simple lead magnets, like the top five tools I use to build my blog, some of those really simple ones that it could be literally just be one page PDF that lists the tool and how I use it. And, you know, it's an affiliate link or whatever the case might be. That does very well. 
and the reason it does very well is people tend to think, man, if I have the tools that he's using, maybe I'll, if, oh, the doggy, so cute. Maybe I'll be able to do all of the stuff that he is doing. So it can be as simple as that. And depending on, depending on how you can provide value to your audience in the best way, that's really what it's about. So if, if you have a specific, what's your niche, by the way? Internet marketing. What aspect of internet marketing? Well, just tips and tricks, anything that I can give my audience to help them along their way. So I would, uh, I would highly recommend, first of all, you know, internet marketing is extremely competitive, um, but it's also extremely diverse. And if you really want to make an inroad into that niche, you, you want to try as much as possible to get as specific as possible. Because the more specific you can get, um, the, the more likely you're going to be to cut through all the noise. All right, so you're in a very competitive niche. It's very saturated. You you have to come yeah, at it from that. a very unique angle in order to stand out. So I think there are a lot of things that you need to think about in terms of what is the value you're providing to your audience and specifically who are you providing that value for? And the better you get to understand that person, the better you can determine what lead magnet you can use for to, to get them onto your email list? Upgrading my targeted audience. You know, the better I understand my targeted audience, the better I understand what to come up with lead magnet with. Exactly. That's exactly it. All right, thank you. And, 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 and I want to reemphasize the fact of keeping it simple. Like, my lead magnet right now is probably a little more complex than it needs to be. And I've been considering simplifying it you know the top five tools i need the the top five the top five tools every blogger needs in their toolkit or something of that sort it's very simple and when you do something like that people are going to be wondering well what are the what are these top five tools let me sign up to find out what it is Um, and then there are other things that you can do to grow your email list in terms of having different lead magnets depending on the content now that's a little more advanced um, but you have different options. All right, thank you. You're very much welcome. Yes, I'm creating a survey uh, for my membership site, and um, I'm not sure. On, the, on Facebook, we, we talked about the number of questions, uh, not to boring people uh, about, uh, about that. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, do you have some content about uh, how to create a good survey uh, to, to test an idea or to have feedback on, uh, on the services we want to provide? Yeah, I actually do. Uh, it's something that, oh, right here. So I did a podcast episode on how to create surveys to read your audience's minds. And that's exactly what you're talking about. But I, I'm, I just posted the link. But I'll give you a brief summary of it. The summary is this. First, you start off by making a list of assumptions about your audience. So you might assume um, my audience is working at a job that they hate. My audience is trying to start a blog around something that they are passionate about. My audience cares more about helping people than making money. My audience, so you can come up with all these lists of assumptions, the important assumptions that are relevant to your product. 
And then based on those assumptions, you come up with a list of questions. Okay? And those are the questions that are going to become your survey questions. Because what you're doing now is, first, you're trying to put yourself in the minds of your audience, especially in terms of the things that they struggle with. Like I might say, my audience struggles with the basic technology of setting up a blog. Um, And then you're testing these assumptions to validate what you're thinking in your mind to see if what you're thinking is a good idea. And then at the end, you also want to leave space for them to give information that you may not have thought about. So one good way of doing that is by asking, we call it the magic wand analysis question. And it is, if you could, ma- if you could wave a magic wand and have your biggest frustration solved when it comes to dot, 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 what would that be? And that will help to give you ideas that you may not have thought about. Okay. So that's kind of a brief summary of what I talk about in that podcast episode. But it's basically come up with assumptions, create the questions, and then test your assumptions by, you know, having them complete the survey. Okay. Yeah, you know I've been having some weird problems because I posted on the Facebook group. Yep. So here's a question, and I know there's a lot of beginners, a lot of people with no tech support, and a, they don't code, and they, you know. What do you do? I guess I would call it back in my days when I worked in, you know, Fortune 500 companies, they all had disaster recovery plans. <laughs> System crashes, email fails, hacking. We are all, sooner or later, we are all going to have some of those issues. Won't just be me. So I wonder if you could, you know, share some pearls of wisdom about how you have learned to protect yourself (laughs) over these years. In terms of what I do right now, I pay for protection. (laughs) Well, back in the old days, what did you do? Yeah, so back in the old days... There are a few things. First of all, I just educated myself about WordPress. Um, Because when it comes to WordPress-related issues, I mean, we can go down a list of like 100 things right now of what could go wrong and then what do you do in that situation. So part of it is the more you learn about WordPress, the more you learn to identify what some of the common problems are. Beyond that... Anytime I see something that says anything about server error, <laughs> internal server error, my site just disappeared, whatever, the, anything along those lines where, wait, I used to have a site, now I don't anymore. First thing I do is I go to the hosting company. I always assume that there's something they can do on their end that's going to save me a lot of time. Now, I might continue to tinkle on my end to try to see if I could figure things out. But immediately, I send them an email and ask, is there something wrong that's causing my site not to show up? They will be able to detect a lot of things that I might not be aware of. So that's one thing to definitely be aware of. Um, Besides that, it's a good idea to look into whatever backup system your hosting company uses. 
Um, you want to be familiar with that. So, for example, in some cases, they have kind of like an easy backup system that they do once a week or once a day, depending on how much you're paying and who, you, who you're using. Um, you want to be able to know how to get access to that. Um, just so that you know, because if they do it once a week and that backup was today and tomorrow I notice something is wrong, I could easily just go back to that backup. Okay? So that's another option. Now, there are, there are relatively affordable services that do pretty good backup. The easiest one is one that's owned by Automatic, which is the company behind WordPress, and that's called VaultPress. I think it starts at $5 a month per WordPress installation. So if you have one blog, you can pay $5 a month and it will be constantly backing up your WordPress installation. And it makes it easy so that if something goes wrong, um, you can literally go in, click on one button, and say, I want to revert to what it was like yesterday. It's kind of like, you remember those good old days of yesterday when nothing was wrong? <laughs> That's what that allows you to do. Literally click on a button and say, restore yesterday. Um, Simon is saying, I use VaultPress. It is excellent and have used it to restore my site. It is really simple. That's like, a, that's like a way of paying a little bit of money, but it brings a lot of peace of mind. Because if you go back to yesterday and notice there was, there's still a problem, or you go back to last week and you notice there's still a problem, then you know that problem is beyond WordPress. And then that's something that your hosting company most likely will be fixing. So VaultPress is a really good and easy solution. It's the easiest solution that I know of. There are other solutions like Backup Buddy. Backup Buddy is similar to VaultPress, but it's a little more technical to set up. Um, but it's a good option. The reason why people choose Backup Buddy as opposed to VaultPress is you purchase it and you have it. Once you have it set up, you're good to go. Um, uh, and uh, Cynthia is asking how do you spell it um, so Vault Press is V-A-U-L-T Press P-R-E-S-S Backup Buddy is B-A-C-K-U-P Buddy B-U-D-D-Y and those are good options Backup Buddy a little more technical but you pay once and that's it you can have it back up automatically to your hard drive to Dropbox to a number of different places, and you can restore from that. Um, VaultPress is all on their platform, and it is super easy. The only reason I'm not paying for VaultPress is because my host does backup right now, and they do it in a super easy way, and I can just click one button, and, and I'm good. So Simon in the chat is asking, would you protect videos with a watermark in case of copying? That's a good question. I don't do that. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to have some kind of a watermark. Now, the way I would do it if I were doing it is I might have like a little logo in the bottom right corner or something of that sort. I wouldn't do it in a way that it distracts from the video. 
um, because to me that's inconvenient. So I would have it somewhere that's out of the way, and I would actually just look at it more as branding, not necessarily as something to protect my videos. Because if I want to steal your video, I could still steal your video. I could steal your video and crop that out. I can steal your video and do all kinds of stuff. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't focus as much on trying to stop people from stealing. And this is something that we were talking about in the Facebook group, but I want to say this here um, because it's something significant that happened to me. When I started my blog, um, I started to realize that people were stealing my stuff and posting it on their blogs as their own. And when I saw that, I'm like, nah, this ain't happening. So I did my research to find out what I could do about it, and I found out that I could send them a cease and desist letter. And if they don't take it down, then I can contact the hosting company, and then they would take it down. So I started doing that. And then it started taking a lot of my time. So I got my virtual assistant to do it. And um, she started doing it. And then it was happening more and more and more. The more your content gets out there, the more people are going to steal it, unfortunately. Um, But then I noticed I was spending so much money on her just protecting my content. And then I asked one of my mentors at the time, hey, what do you do about people stealing your content? And he was like, nothing. And I was like, what do you mean nothing? And what he told me is something that stuck with me to today and it will stick with me forever is when you put stuff out there, especially if it's good stuff, people are going to steal it. Trying to, trying to go after those people takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. And that's taking energy, effort, and work away from creating valuable content for the people that are actually going to consume your content legitimately. Instead of focusing on trying to you know, fight against everyone that's going to do bad stuff to your, to your content, focus on the people that are actually going to get value from your content. Focus from the people that are going to actually appreciate your content. That's where you want to spend all your energy that's much more, much, it's, it's worth your time to do that as opposed to the other stuff that you're just fighting a losing battle. And since that point, I started looking at it that way. I don't care if someone steals my content because they weren't going to buy it anyhow. I'm going to focus on the ones that are going to find value in it, that are going to um, uh, actually pay for it. So I wouldn't look at it as a, a, a way of necessarily protecting it from copying I would look at it more f- with, with the video. That's more of branding. If you want to brand your videos and, and anytime they see this logo, they know that it's yours, that's perfectly fine. So that's my thought. My thoughts on the matter. Yeah, I was wondering if you had any, any data or experience about what we can expect in terms of retention rates for our membership um, blogs or programs when we start them. Okay, so, and I, I know when you were asking it earlier, you were also asking about the $1 trial and how that... That's right. Okay, so, uh, so, man, so much to say on that. Where do I start? So depending on where you look online, you will see things like the average retention rate um, is two to three months or three to four months. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, man, that's terrible. Um, but I know of people that have retention rates that are significantly higher. So let's go with the assumption that the average retention rate is three to four months. The question then becomes, what can you do to make that significantly longer? Now, Mm -hmm. the thing is, it's kind of hard to calculate retention rates unless you've had something that's been going for a significant period of time and you're Mm -hmm. uh, you're doing tracking from day one. Mm-hmm. 
the way I look at it is what are the things that I can do to make it to make that retention rate as long as possible. That's the perspective that I, I come at it from. And there are a number of things that you can do. Right, right. One, one of so maybe what I'll do is talk about some of the things that you can do for retention. Uh-huh. Uh, but before I do that, let's talk about the one dollar trial. It's too soon for me to be able to give you any kind of conclusive data on that because this is the first time I've done a one dollar trial. Um, so I can tell you that I had 130 people sign up for the one dollar trial. And the number of people, they're being rebuilt right now. The number of people that have actually requested to cancel, I think it's about 13. Oh, wow. Which, but, but I anticipate that that number is going to go up. When I saw 130 people signed up, I thought to myself, you know what? If I lose 30 of those people, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy with that. Right, right. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see that. Now, one of the things that you'll notice, because there's $1 trials, there's um, free trial offers and so on, I decided not to go the free trial offer route because right, right. then anyone could sign up and th- you're going to get a lot of people signing up that wouldn't even necessarily give you their credit card or they will give you a fake credit card because they know they're not being charged for the initial sign-up anyhow. So I decided to go with the $1 trial because at least it tests their credit card. It validates validates their credit card, and you can at least see that they have the ability to make a credit card transaction. So I went with the $1 trial, understanding that these individuals are going to be more likely to cancel. Um, Now, on the rebill... Uh, I'm right in the middle of the rebuild cycle, and I noticed that today I had a number of declines. I don't remember off the top of my head how many declines, but you're going to get more declines anytime you make it easier for people to get in. Okay? So those are just some things to keep in mind. Um, I think with the price that I'm charging, the $27 a month, I don't necessarily need a $1 trial, but I decided to go that way just to test it out and see what the results are going to be for me. Okay, so that being said, one of the biggest things is how do you retain members? And I've been studying that like crazy. And you've probably seen a number of the things that I've done, maybe not thinking that that's a retention thing, but I've done it specifically for retention. First thing is, what happens as soon as someone signs up? Onboarding, yeah. That onboarding process is so essential. In the beginning... I basically sent you an email and said, here's the training. And some of um, Angie and Angela have been with me for a while. And they know that I didn't have that getting started page that you see now. Now when you log in, when you get that email, it takes you to a getting started page. And right there, I try to get you to take action immediately. Because once you get people to take action immediately, even though it's very simple actions, it's going to increase the likelihood that they're actually going to do something. And by them doing something, it's going to increase the likelihood that they're going to remain members. So the simple things that I got you to do is watch the video. Watch the videos, these series of videos. Um, Go to Facebook and request to be added to the group. Number two 
is leave a, a, a just introduce yourself to the group. Those simple types of things. Whitelist your email. I get you involved in some very simple activities. All right, and then I get you to check out the resources in the membership area. That's my main thing. I want to get you to take action. We did a study over at Social Media Examiner, and we saw that getting if people are the people that log in once a week were twice as likely to be able to, twice as likely to achieve results from what they do. Um, and that's significant. If you can get people engaging in the society, in, in your membership, they're going to be more likely to stay. So the onboarding process is huge. Next part is what's happening on an ongoing basis? How are you communicating with people on an ongoing basis? What are you, what are you doing to make it more likely that they're actually going to stay inside your membership? All right. For me, that was the Facebook group. As you guys have seen, I am very active in the Facebook group. Um, now that we have this up and running, I'm very active in the Facebook group because I want you to feel like if you go in there and you have a blogging question, you're going to get help. All right? And that constant ongoing interaction, that constant ongoing engagement is significant. This is also the reason why I did an interview with um, Pauline on Facebook groups because I want to learn more about how do you keep a Facebook group engaged. And by having activities within that Facebook group, that's another great way. I much prefer a Facebook group to a forum. We had forums before, but they, it's 2015 and forums don't work as well as they used to in the past. Um, so uh, having a Facebook group is a great way to get that engagement and keep people engaging with your content. And then regular updates via email because that reminds people what's going on inside the membership area so that they can continue to take action and continue to find value in the content. So those are some of the things that I'm doing right now in terms of retention. Um, the key thing is you want to oh, – I, I didn't mention something that's the most important thing. You want to be creating something that's valuable enough that they're going to want to continue to stay, um, stay members. Notice that in a lot of the training and stuff that I do, I don't, I'm not as focused on the courses and so on that are in the members area. Because you can log in, get all the courses, watch all the courses, and you're good, right? I'm more focused on the things that are ongoing that provide ongoing value. Like right now you're on this coaching call, you're asking questions about membership sites and you're getting answers directly about that. To me, that is something that you can always look to as something that I can continue to get value from. And that's why I changed the name of this program from the Become a Blogger University to the Become a Blogger Coaching Club to emphasize that ongoing nature of the coaching. Does that make sense? Very much. Um, good. Are you are you controlling access Facebook to the Facebook group manually? Yes. I mean, when someone drops off, you have to manually push them out, or unfortunately, or yes, restrict rather. Exactly. Unfortunately, okay. yes. That's not a. It, the, Facebook doesn't have an API or something that you can integrate mm -hmm. with a, a payment system or anything of that sort. So that's okay. something that I have to do manually. Okay. Very good. Thank you so much. You are very much welcome. Cynthia, I know you are dealing with membership site stuff too. Does that answer all of your questions related to retention for now? Yeah, sweet. 
man, I hope you got a lot of value from You know what? I know you got a lot of value from that. Oh, man, I just love those coaching calls. We have so much fun every, pretty much every other week. And hey, if you're interested, once again, if you want to check out the coaching club, you want to join, head on over to bloggercoaching.com. Use this coupon code because it's going to save you some money. Episode 250. I'm not going to tell you what kind of discount you're going to get. Just go try it out and see for yourself. So let me tell you a little bit about what's coming up. So next week, I have a fascinating interview with Todd Tresseter. The topic is how to structure your blog content for more traffic. And you want to listen to that because here's what he talks about. He talks about how he was able to triple his traffic by deleting a third of his content. Triple your traffic, deleting content. What in the world? We're going to talk about how he restructured his blog content and what the results were. And then we're going to talk about the things you need to pay attention to so that your blog posts are optimized for success. Tons of value. Hey, episode 250, becomeablogger.com slash 250. I hope you enjoyed it. Share it with someone that you think would find value in it. And if you're trying to get your blog started so that you can create content, inspire others, and change the world, freebloggingvideos.com. And lastly, bloggercoaching.com. Coupon code episode 250. That's it for this episode. Leslie Simon here from becomeablogger.com where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And until next time, take care and God bless.